Welcome to Storyteller, where we sit down, virtually of course, with the storytellers who are changing the way we tell and consume stories. We'll be talking to the best storytellers across media, sports, and entertainment who are evolving the way we interact with an audience. I'm Sky Muller. And I'm Christine Chalk, and today's storyteller is Matt Arden, Head of Content and Media at NBA 2K League. Part of the booming world of esports, Matt and his team have always been leaders in innovation. And as our world went virtual a few months ago, they were quick to pivot and among the first to get live sports back on air. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So let's just jump right in. You know, we know that right now you're with NBA 2K. You've been there a little over a year and a half, but you had a journey to, to get there. Tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, yeah. So my, uh, my story sort of comes from traditional sports. Um, when I was in college at Virginia Tech, um, I, I grew up in the D.C. area in Northern Virginia, and um, the, the most famous sportscaster, maybe in the East Coast at the time, but was a guy named George Michael at, the, at Channel 4 in Washington. And so I got um, two years working for George while I was in college, which was uh, pretty incredible. And it started my journey as um, wanting to be a sportscaster. And um, right out of college, I got hired at my alma mater at Virginia Tech and worked for uh, Hokiesports.com, which is in 1999, we started, you know, uh, taking back rights and building our own sports, you know, um, websites, which were normally farmed out. So that was really cool. Like very early on in the process, I got a lot of digital experience um, at the very, you know, early stages. And that led me to CNN Sports Illustrated down in Turner in Atlanta when I was a young guy. And um, within seven months of being in at CNNSI, I got brought over to TBS and Turner Sports. And I spent 11 years at Turner Broadcasting in Atlanta. Um, yeah. The most formative of that experience, though, was uh, when they started CSSU, which is Creative Services Sports Unit, which was one of the first, if not the first, internal creative agency for a network for sports. And I was, you know, on the ground floor. I got asked in on day one. And so um, that's really where I made my bones and where I learned the most about the creative process. Um, and then, you know, that that also kept me with the NBA product for a long time. I was working for NBA stuff. And so when we, my wife and I moved to New York nine years ago, I, I had, have held some other media positions in the, in the interim, but you know, coming to the NBA felt a little bit like coming home. So I've, I've now been with the NBA for a little over a year and a half and, uh, and doing all esports. And Matt, you've had just an awesome journey, learned under a lot of, it sounds like really established people along the way, along that journey for you. What were some of the the key moments that you remember or key things you remember that really helped amplify your storytelling ability. And it sounds like we all have a passion for storytelling. What were some things that you learned along the way that you felt really took your ability to tell stories and stuff that you use today? I think two, and it comes down to sort of mentors in my process. The first was George Michael. And when I first started working for him, he would always say, and it's, it, it, he was a dated reference, but it, it was perfect for him. He would always say, don't use your college education as an excuse to write something that feels super flowery. He would always say the key for everything you write should be that Ma and Pa beer can understand what the hell you're talking about. And that was like such a bizarre phrasing, but I loved it, but it made sense. It was, you know, it, my, my job as a storyteller in sports isn't to prove to everybody how beautifully I can write. That's not the goal. The goal is to, um, to transmit an emotion, to make people feel a certain way about something. Um, you want to carry them through that process or, or sometimes explain, you know, in esports in particular, you want to explain to them, you know, what's going on and you want to do it passionately. And then I think the, the other pivotal moment for me was um, right when I joined CSSU at Turner Sports, 
my boss at the time who still runs creative there is a guy named Craig Berry, who's a phenomenal, you know, creative mind within Turner sports. And, um, I wrote a, the opening tease to one of the NBA games as a very young, you know, uh, production assistant at the time. And, and it was a really well done tease. It was, it, it, it kicked ass. And afterwards he was like, this is amazing. You're my guy. We're going to do this. This is great. Feels pretty good. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, tomorrow doesn't mean anything. We're going to start all over again tomorrow. And what I realized, and he wasn't being mean, but he was, he was, he was tough on us. But the truth is what he was telling me was that, you know, this, this job doesn't end and you, you don't get to walk away and say you nailed it. And you, you know, the goal is to come back every day and try a little bit harder and write a little bit better and connect people a little bit more emotionally. Um, and th those two things have always stuck with me. And I, the third is my stepfather's advice. When I graduated college, he just simply pulled me aside and said, Matt, the world doesn't place a premium on problem identifiers. And it just, you know, always come to the table with a solution. It's super easy to walk in a room and be like, oh, that thing's on fire. It, it's the person who walks in with the bucket of water that, that really helps. I love that phrase. We might have to steal that with credit to you, obviously, or your stepmother, perhaps. But no, that's a good one. Um, would you? What would you say is kind of the biggest? You've obviously worked on, you know, started with traditional sports, made the pivot into esports, which is you know exploding right now. What would you say is the biggest difference as a storyteller for somebody in that traditional sports space versus somebody in the esports space? How did you have to change your approach? I think just the education side of it, you know, when you, when you write something for the NBA or you create a piece of content for the NBA, you don't have to explain what basketball is, but for esports, you know, and, and because esports is growing so fast, there's a really great likelihood that a good portion of our audience in any given night is new to us or, or experiencing us for, for one of the first times. Um, and so, you know, making sure that you're accelerating the 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 esport that you're in, and you're accelerating the platform that you're on, but also taking time to explain as you go. And for a lot of creatives, that can be difficult because it feels like you're going back. And, and you know, we have to divorce ourselves from that because going back is important, and explaining and giving context is is wildly important. And it's not for a couple of weeks. It's not even for a couple of years. I, I think you know, like any startup, right? You have to give everybody your elevator pitch on at a regular you know at a regular time and. So I think the education part of it is, is constantly reminding people what we're doing, where we are contextually within a game or within a tournament or within a process. Um, that's been the, the biggest thing we and my team, I think, have worked on. That's super helpful. I am one of those people who have learned greatly from your guys' power of going back. So I appreciate that. Uh, let's, we want to pivot really quickly, go into what we call the lightning round. We do this with all of our guests, exactly like it sounds, quick questions, quick answers, no pressure. Uh, first thing that comes to your mind, we'll get it right started right away. Start with an easy one. What did you think you were going to be when you grew up? Sportscaster. And it sounds like you did start to be a sportscaster early was, on. Yeah. Yes, you were. Yeah, I was on it for a long time. For a long time, there we go. And that was, it sounded like that was your first job out of college. Is that accurate? What yep. was your actual first job though? Like maybe in high school, pre-college? Oh, Nike outlet, Nike outlet, Woodbridge, Virginia, Potomac Mills Mall. I see a sports theme here. All right, who is one of your favorite follows right now on social media? Uh, Rex Chapman. Oh my gosh, Rex's stuff right now, it, it just brightens your day. Every He's day. on fire. Him, him and Richard Marks, honestly. Yes. Richard Marks on Twitter is gold. Speaking of Twitter or any other social media, what is your social media pet peeve, biggest one? Retweeting with no context. It's just plagiarism. Come on, guys. You gave us 
three really great pieces of advice earlier in the podcast, but best advice you can give to someone looking to work in production. Ooh, man. So I'm, I, uh, I serve as a mentor on a board of directors at Virginia tech. So I work with a lot of college students on, on that very question. Um, the truth is it's, it's multi, it's I, to me, it's multi-tiered, but at the end of the day, right, it comes down to just working harder than the people to your left and your right. I think that, um, you know, I am certainly no more creative and, and I guarantee you no more smart than most of my peers. I'm an idiot that grew up at the end of a dirt road in Virginia. So, you know, like I, you know, I got through college with, uh, with, with marginal grades and I would say high school was, was probably worse. Um, it, it, it's just about working hard. Right. And, 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 and then to me, that ties back to passion. If you can't work hard at something, there's probably a reason why either you don't love it, you don't like it, or you're not good at it. And those things are okay. And those are okay answers. But you, you have to just work harder than everybody else. And that doesn't mean more hours. You know, I, I, I tell my team all the time and, and I tell myself, I tell my wife, I'm not going to work 16 hours today, but for the eight hours I do carve out, I'm going to, I'm going to bust my tail. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, you have to be relentless, especially in a creative field. You just relentless, 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 just be driving constantly. Um, and eventually that'll, you know, get you noticed. I think, you know, it, it's hard now to get noticed because there's a million ways to get noticed and everyone has a, a broadcast platform, which is a beautiful thing on one hand, but it really, really muddies the water too. And so um, there's just no replacement for hard work. Absolutely. And let's cap it off. The same question we ask every guest here in three words, the best stories are blank, blank, and blank. The best stories are honest, um, uh, passionate, and um, thought-provoking. Beautiful. You survived the lightning round. <laughs> nice work. And it was lightning fast. Some some uh, don't understand the lightning as, as well as you do. And <laughs> that was well done. All right, let's wrap up the lightning round. Let's pivot. Let's slow things down just a little bit. Um, esports, where you're in right now with the NBA 2K League, um, has always been largely digital experience. And even before the pandemic, NBA 2K, um, made interactivity its focus. I've heard interviews with you in the past where you talked about wanting to be more engaging, wanting to be more interactive in, in your guys' broadcast. A lot of things obviously changed in the last few months here. Um, and I think a lot of folks, and, and maybe I'm even guilty of this, just assumed, oh, esports, it's already a digital experience. They're going to have an easy transition during this pandemic. But we also know there's a lot more to it, and, and you can't just pivot or you're not already there. Can you walk us through a little bit how your team has made the pivot in the last few months to capture an audience that's at home? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, to say it's an unprecedented time is probably underselling it. Um, and I think everybody's obviously facing it for a number of different reasons, but, um, yeah, I mean, our pivot was just as aggressive or just as painful as everyone else's probably. I would just say that, um, one, you know, being at the NBA and, and having the support we do, uh, helped us a lot. Um, and two, just being a smaller digitally focused team, pivoting just is, is more in our DNA. I wouldn't say that the work was easier or the work was less painful. It just, we're smaller and more nimble and sort of accustomed to pivoting anyway. And so, you know, I think it looked like we got out the shoot faster than anybody else, which may be very true, but it, uh, some of that is just relative to the people we have and the, and the size that we are. Um, and frankly, the partners that we have, you know, Tagboard included, I mean, we work with a lot of really smart, you know, helpful partners that that in very in real time helped us 
look at a problem, identify a problem, and then and and move out very quickly with a solution. And I think one of the keys to us was we didn't spend a lot of time dwelling on problems. We would get in a room, virtual room, you know, we'd we'd identify the problem, and then we'd we'd pick a solution. And whether we were right or we were wrong, or whether that led us another, you know, down another rabbit hole that we eventually had to dig out of that didn't matter as much as being decisive. Um, and I think that in a pivot scenario gets lost a lot of times is um, you can't pivot by committee. I mean, you can, as a, as a team decide that you're going to pivot, but at some point you got to make a decision and run. Um, otherwise it's not pivoting, it's turning and, and turning is fine too. Right. But pivot is a quick, sharp turn and a move in another direction. And people forget the quick, sharp part of that. And I think we were just really, really uh, uniquely set up to, to, to cut and turn and run. And again, I go back to the support side of it. Our managing director, Brendan Donahue, all the way up to, to Adam Silver, honestly, that we are, we are given the permission to cut and run and, and sprint with an idea. And so we, uh, you know, I, to me, it was just about quick decision-making and really, really great support. I feel like we probably have, we're kindred spirits in that coming from, you know, a startup world that the ability to, to pivot quickly rather than turn is, is so important. You know, what have you guys done differently as far as, you know, the things that maybe your audience may notice different things in how you cover uh, NBA 2K or how you engage your audience who's at home. What have you done differently, you know, that you've really seen an audience be perceptive to versus maybe things that you said, Hey, let's, let's not do that one again. <laughs> well, we do that every night. We're we're incredibly <laughs> iterative, and we try new things, you know, almost every night. So, I, this is going to sound kind of ridiculous, but the truth is, what we did differently was we tried to make it not different. Mm-hmm. Um, we poured a bunch of uh, energy and resources into making it feel as big as it would have been had we done it in the arena we built to do it. And I think that was the biggest thing that I was driving the team to to embrace was that just because we're in this unique scenario doesn't mean we should make excuses for lesser quality, which I do think is happening right now in the creative space. I think people are saying, well, it's a Skype call in or it's a Zoom interview. It's okay if it looks like crap. And yeah, a lot of that stuff just can't be controlled. And so I get it. But at the end of the day, we were striving for, let's try to get as high quality as we would demand of ourselves had we been in our arena with 30 HD cameras and and all the stuff that we had at our disposal anyway. And so when we built from that principle, everything sort of unfolded in front of us because we knew what our threshold was, right? Our threshold was perfection, um, which is ridiculous because we know we'll never achieve that. But if we keep that in the back of our mind is that's actually the goal, then it kept, we kept pushing for bigger and better. And again, we have incredible partners. We have uh, Mall Media is a small production company here in New York that does all of our post-production and editing and shooting. Um, uh, de facto does our, you know, produces the show with us, Tagboard. You, you know, you guys were exceptional at pivoting with us and, and figure out ways we can create more from what we were expecting. Um, and you know, it just, and on and on and on. And, and frankly, our brand partners have been incredible too. You look at like, we do a show called Locked In, which is a, a, like a, an IRL series behind the scenes. Well, how do you do that in COVID with social distancing? We couldn't get a crew out. But AT&T is the presenting partner. So we went to AT&T and said, hey, let, let's see if we can, let's work on this together. And what we did was we just created a bunch of phones, gave them service with, with high capacity, and we shipped the phones out to teams and had them self-record while we directed either through Zoom or Skype or whatever. But AT&T became much more than a naming partner. They actually helped us with a production solve. Um, so I think, again, it was, just like, it was just constantly pushing for that the highest threshold of like, this is going to be ridiculous. We probably can't pull it off. But what if we 
and then we would produce from there. As you still strive for that greatness, and, and obviously there's different hurdles along the way. You mentioned that what you partnered with AT&T and you sent these phones out to um, everyone and had them record them themselves in real life. Is there anything like that that has that you've changed because of our current, um, you know, pandemic or current situation that you think you might continue to carry on after things normalize a little bit? Yeah, I think we, one really cool thing we did was in the, the, um, the tournament we just got out of on ESPN two, um, we brought in guest casters. We, we brought in Ariel Powers and Julian Viani, um, who we've always wanted to work with, but we, you know, we're trying to figure out how to make it work. And then we realized, let's just send them a mobile production unit. Like we built for all of our teams and our casters and we'll do it from home. And what we realized was it, that a, that special guests or really talented people or unique casters like Ariel and Julianne, uh, or Julianne don't have to be in the room with us to be part of our broadcast. And I think that's the really cool takeaway that we got was we can start unfolding or, or bringing into the fold more and more personalities, more unique people, more people with different points of view. Um, and we don't have to have them in the same room with us to have them part of our broadcast. So I think that, I think that, you know, as we get back to a, a, some normalcy, hopefully, you know, sooner rather than later, I think we'll employ some remote broadcast technology and, and tactics moving forward because we think it enriches our broadcast and, and why wait for someone's schedule to clear up or to be able to fly into New York for three days. Let's just bring them in. We know how to do it now. It's such a cool positive side effect of seeing how you can open up a little bit more after things, hopefully, like you said, sooner rather than later normalize. So we want to ask you about at least one of your unique activations and things that you guys did to walk us through, you know, what happened behind the scenes to bring the three for all tournament, you know, what was it and how did that idea come to life? So the three for all tournament was, was interesting for us because we, we shut down our offices like, um, March 12th, I think March, somewhere between March 12th and March 16th. And that three for all tournament happened within week, just a couple of weeks of that, but it was also 12 days before our season was supposed to start. So when you talk about a 180 pivot, we not only, you know, delayed the start of a season that had a, a physical build of an arena and a broadcast center in hell's kitchen 12 days before launch, we not only shut that thing down or put it on pause, but then turned very quickly to create an Xbox and PS4 three-on-three tournament in park with 2K League players and teams, as well as influencers and athletes and celebrities from outside of the 2K League. Um, and we did it in about 12 days. And um, the, the biggest reason was, was simple. I mean, we wanted to stay connected, right? We realized that everything was shutting down and, and we were obviously postponing, if not canceling our season at that point. 12 days before the start of the season. And we just wanted a way to connect and we wanted a way to do something with our fans and do something for our fans and for our players. Um, what it very quickly turned into, which was really, which we literally wasn't the intent, but what we realized was we gave ourselves a proving ground and a testing ground for launching the season remotely. We weren't sure at the time what we were going to do. We knew we needed to figure out a remote strategy, but frankly, we just wanted the 3v3 to happen because it was important. But on the backside of it, it clicked within the first day that we were like, oh, wait, we're going to test out a whole new workflow, all new technology. Can we do this? Is it possible? What are the crazy ideas we can throw at it? Should we build a virtual studio, which we did, thanks to our friends at Live CGI? Did we, you know, and, and you know, what is the connectivity? What is the internet in, in place A when they're playing against the team in place B? What does that do? What happens when the power goes out? What happens when a storm hits and, you know, DC goes dark? Like, all these things we weren't prepared for because nobody's ever done it. And the 3v3 became this incredible um, 
proving ground for us. And it gave us a ton of confidence. Not only was it great from a marketing perspective, just like stay connected to our friends and stay connected to our fans and stay connected to our players and do something we felt was fun and right to do and fun to do. But it gave us so much confidence. We came out of that tournament being like, guys, I think we can do remote gameplay. And within a couple of weeks of that, we were ready to launch the season. When you have 12 days, that's where the pivot over a turn comes into play. <laughs> Shut stuff Take down. Thing you, got, go. <laughs> you got things going in multiple directions. Uh, that's where the solutions guy comes in. So congrats on, on you guys getting that launched and now mid-season. What's next? What's um, anything to, to be looking out for? Um, for anyone that that's tuning in watching yeah so we just we uh, had an announcement last week where we extended remote gameplay a little bit longer you know obviously we're going to wait and see we're working with you know all the right people and the nba has a bunch of smart folks working with all the right people to make sure that when we when we come back to physical gameplay it's at the right time and, and in the healthiest way possible but uh, so we've extended remote gameplay which will include our next major cash tournament which is called the turn which is powered by at also um and so that'll happen uh, at the end of July. Um, we haven't uh, released the rules for that one yet, but I know League Ops is working hard on on what the unique twist on that tournament will be. Um, and that you know that'll be a ton of fun to watch. Um, and then yeah, I think once we get through July, we'll see what the rest of the season looks like. The schedule is just released, so the full season schedule is out there. Um, I guess the only real question mark is uh, when, if, and how, and when we end up coming back to physical gameplay. Uh, if at all, which I think will probably be decided uh, sometime later in the summer when we have a little bit more information. But the turn is the next big cash grab tournament coming up in July, and then regular season gameplay. I mean, we're we're in the heat of our season right now. We're we're now you know entering the middle point. So, and we've got incredible ways to watch too. So not only are we on Twitch and YouTube like we were last year, but uh, we're on the ESPN app for the rest of the season. We've had a lot of games picked up by ESPN two, including three games next week. Um, so. Um, and the uh, EGG network in Southeast Asia, um, we're in Sportsnet in Canada. Um, we can find our games um, um, in, on NBA TV in Canada. Uh, and then there's a lot of RSNs are picking us up too. So the, the local RSNs will pick up their team's games and, and run them locally in their markets as well on, on traditional uh, linear and digital distribution. So I, that to me, that groundswell has just really been kind of wild. So to your point earlier about finding some silver lining or some positivity out of what has been a pretty horrible time. Um, you know, that, that's, that's been the thing. So I think that's the thing to look out for is just keep, keep following us, keep watching. There's a million ways to watch now. So, you know, we don't, we're not really, we don't care which one you hop on, just hop on one of them and, and take a peek. There are no excuses for not tuning in anymore. That's we right. know everyone is at home. You have time. You're in enough places now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like to close it out by just kind of looking to the future. Um, you guys, like you mentioned, you've always kind of had a pulse on what's coming next. You are the, you're quick to pivot. You've really been digital innovation forward. What are you looking to next? What kind of trends do you have your eye on? What do you hope to see next in the production and storytelling world? I think the biggest thing for us will be to continue to find ways to get uh, people more involved. Um, I think interactivity is, a, is an amazing thing. Um, and I think we can do more and we can do better. And so finding ways for audiences to have more choice, to have more control, um, to be an active participant in our broadcast. Um, you know, I think we got a lot of credit early on and this is before I, I, I came into the league, so I don't, I don't take any credit for it, but, um, you know, um, we would take suggestions from the, the chat 
and change our broadcast week over week based on what we thought fans might like or what they've literally told us. And that was a sort of a rudimentary way of doing it. But if we could do it in real time and also tie rewards to it and, and, and really, you know, create a more robust interactivity, you know, I think that's, that's what I'm looking for out of the future from the, from the viewership angle. And I think, you know, Tagboard has been a great part of that. I think, you know, this is our first year working with Tagboard and we've been incredibly pleased with how we've been able to bring real-time conversations into our broadcast because it causes conversations to happen in our broadcast. So it's, it's less about throwing a graphic up. It's more about what that graphic leads us to then do or then to discuss. So, you know, I think just more of that, the more we can involve and create a more inclusive community, the more powerful a product it will be. And I think we're learning that across the board in the world today anyway, right? I think we're learning about the, the power of inclusion. Um, and I think we just want to sort of take the spirit of that and, and, and make it more fun for everybody. I'd like to take that soundbite and play it for the entire tag board team <laughs> so they can hear and regurgitate exactly what you just said. <laughs> Feel free to use it. <laughs> right on, Matt. We appreciate it. Thanks for uh, just dropping knowledge on us for the last 30 minutes or so. It's, uh, it's been awesome to listen. You, you've had a good journey. You've had a great journey and uh, learned from a lot of people. And, and it sounds like now you're, you're giving back to, to some college students and then everyone there that works with you at the NBA 2K League. So we appreciate you dropping some knowledge on us today and uh, we're excited to share it with the, the rest of our, our listeners and the rest of the world. And good luck the rest of the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time and thanks for obviously caring about our product and, and sharing it with, with all your listeners and viewers. And uh, not to be too pluggy here, but honestly, thank you for what you guys do. You guys have been great partners of ours. And so we really, we really appreciate what you've done for our broadcast. So um, keep doing what you're doing and keep talking to fun, creative people. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's so sweet of you to say. We've had a blast working with you guys over the last year. And I feel like you said, it's just the start. So we can't wait to see what we can dream up next. <laughs>